Welcome, everyone, to the How to Get the Most Out of College podcast. There's a lot of talk about where to go to college, but not nearly enough about how to go to college. And it's the everyday decisions that drive your success. I'm your host, Elliot Felix. I've been a consultant to more than 100 colleges and universities, helping them improve their student experience. And I'm the author of How to Get the Most Out of College, where I take what I've learned about how college works and make it work for you. There are lots of different ways to define what a first-gen student is. If you think about students whose parents or guardians didn't attend college, then about a third of college students today are first-gen. If you use the other popular definition of not having a parent or guardian who graduated college, then almost half of students fit that definition today in the U.S. And how first-gen students get oriented and find support, whether it's services or people or people who provide services, is such an important topic. And I'm so excited to dig into that with Dr. Angela Simmons today. Dr. Simmons runs student development at University of South Carolina, Beaufort. Welcome, Angela. Thanks so much for having me, Elliot. I'm really excited to be able to be here with you today and talk about how we can provide some care and support for our first-gen students. And it's especially important to me because I'm a first-generation college student and just remember what a struggle that was for me. So this is a topic that's really close to my heart. Well, I'm really excited for our chat. It was a pleasure to work together and I learned so much from that. And I'm sure our listeners are going to learn so much from you today. And I, I would love to dig into this topic of support because I know NASPA's research found that first-gen students are I think about a third less likely to use advising and about a quarter less likely to use academic support services, whether it's, you know, tutoring or writing or data, study skills, time management, all these things. I think this is an important thing to dig into. We can all learn from your lessons. A great place to start would just be to understand how you got your start. How did you get into the whole world of student development, student affairs? So um, like most people, I fell into student affairs. I can't think of one person that started college and said, oh, I would like to go into student affairs. I didn't know student affairs was even a thing that you could do. I thought that I would probably end up being a counselor and that's the work that I would do. Wanted to do that work with young people, but was involved in student life as an undergrad and found out, oh, you can do, this is actually something you could do. So ended up going to grad school to get my master's actually in counseling with an emphasis in student affairs and then my doctorate in higher education, really just because I saw people doing this work that I thought, honestly, it seemed like it was fun. I think now that I'm in the work, I know that there's parts of it that are really, really fun and parts of it that are really, really hard because you're working with people and thinking about how it is that you provide them the support that they need. But like most people, I just kind of, I fell into it, but I'm really, I'm glad I did because I, I can't imagine doing anything else. That's awesome. Falling into something you love and you can't imagine doing anything else sounds like a good place to fall into. I'd like to make this concrete and hear maybe a story about a first-gen student finding support, whether it's, you know, your own story or maybe a student you've been able to help at one of your, one of the institutions you've worked. Yeah, I'm going to talk a little bit about my own story because I think it's a good example of how over the past 32 years, however long it was that I started college, how things have shifted and changed in terms of the way that we offer support to students. So 
like I said, I'm a first generation college student. I was not a good student in high school. I did not make good grades, but I always knew that I wanted to go to college. It was just, to me, college felt like this way to get out of my small town. So it just seemed really, really important, but wasn't really kind of targeted as a student that would go to college, but somehow figured it out along with the help really of friends. I I think I made my way through college because I had good friends that would tell me, oh, hey, now's the time that you're supposed to be doing ABC thing or, oh, hey, did you know that you could do XYZ thing? I never, I never used any support opportunities on campus. I didn't, I'm sure there was tutoring available. I didn't know anything about it. I know there was a counseling center. I know all these things had to exist, but it was just not things that my friends and I talked about, we kind of navigated that on our own. And I can remember when it was time to graduate with my undergrad degree and somebody said, oh, did you apply for graduation? And I was like, well, no, won't they just know I'm supposed to graduate? And it's all these hidden things at the university that for especially our first gen students, they just they don't know that there are these things that you're supposed to do. And, you, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And so I think I've ended up doing this work specifically because I didn't have a person and I wish that I had had somebody. And so it's really, it's a great opportunity for me to kind of think about how it is that our team and student development here can provide the kind of support that I would have wanted. And I think now at the university, we do a much better job of, from the beginning, telling our students what the opportunities are for support and telling them that we want to be supportive, getting them connected with academic advisors or well-being coaches that we connect our students with. And so for me, as I think about my student story, the part of it that I appreciate the most is that I've learned some things by going through that that I think are helpful for me in terms of identifying with first-generation college students, all of our students, really but also talking with my team about how it is that we can provide some good support for those students. And I think that's changed dramatically in the last 30 years. So it sounds like your mission is to make sure students take advantage of all the things you kind of missed out on in terms of the support that's available. And you mentioned tutoring and you mentioned wellness coaches. Give us kind of the menu. What kind of support can students take advantage of to help them succeed? Yeah. You know, I think there's so many things. Some of it's practical stuff, like thinking about how it is that you get connected with your academic advisor, thinking about the tutoring and the writing center and the math lab and and those kinds of things, how it is that you're getting involved in student organizations, because that may not feel like or sound like support, but really it is because, you know, what we know about students is that students who connect to the university in a meaningful way are more likely to persist. Like if you feel like you have a place and like you belong, you have something to come back to, then you're going to want to keep trying. And so student organizations, research with faculty, being connected with faculty members, those kinds of things are so very important in terms of dealing support. But then I think there's those other things that folks may not think about, like how is it that you connected with your orientation leader? And do you feel like you connected with your resident assistant so they can provide some support to you? I mean, just 
being connected with people. If you're an athlete, do you feel connected to your coach? And so support doesn't always have to look like a service. I think for a lot of people, it's a person. Like you just need a person. If I could do any, if I had all the money that I wanted, I would want to set up a like a little student success team for our students where they would get three or four people that they know are their people and they know they could go to because support isn't always a thing. A lot of times it's just a person that you can go to and say, gosh, I need some help. And knowing that that's okay, that somebody's given you permission to ask for help, I think is so important for our first generation students who think that they're sometimes supposed to do all the things by themselves without any support. I love the idea that support isn't just a service. It's also a person or a team. And I love the the questions you were asking, you know, do you feel connected to your advisor, to your coach and so forth? Who's asking the student those questions? Is that a peer mentor? Is that their advisor? Who's kind of sparking that conversation or checking in to see if those connections are, are being made and that student feels supported? Yeah. Here for us, there's a couple of people that should be doing it. Your academic advisor should be doing it. You know, Elliot, actually, everybody should be doing it. Everybody should be doing that. Like everybody, all of our faculty and staff at the university should be checking in on folks. And I know people have lots of responsibilities. And if you're faculty, you're trying to think about teaching and your own research. And you've got students coming to you, asking you all kinds of questions. But I think that everyone should be doing it. Now, what we tell our students, and we talk about this at orientation, is that if you have a question and you don't know where to go to, the first person that you should go to and ask is your academic advisor. Or if you're an on-campus student, that you can also talk with your RA. Hopefully, you've developed a relationship with your orientation leader. But for us, our academic advisors are kind of like that first line of who we tell students that they should go to. And we talk about that at orientation, the importance of meeting your academic advisor. All of our students have to meet with their academic advisor before they can register. They have a registration hold. So we know that they will spend some time with their academic advisor. But we tell them, if you run into trouble and you don't know who to ask, the best person to ask is your academic advisor. We've also been really lucky right now. We have a texting chatbot that our students can text if they don't know where to find the answer to something. He's branded as our mascot. And so our students text Finnegan if they have questions. And we've been really lucky that we have about 65% of our students that are engaging with the chatbot in some way. And 98% of our students are still opted in. So it's just another way for students who may not feel comfortable going to seek out a person for them to feel like at least they have a place 24-7 where they can ask. So it sounds like a great place to start is just having that first point of contact, that go-to person or platform. And it it could be the chatbot or it could be your advisor. And um, from there, you can figure out where else to go, but sort of zero in on that to start with. That makes so much sense. I remember one of the studies I dug up in my book showed that for every percent increase in satisfaction that a student felt about their advisor, they were one and a half percent more likely to stay enrolled, which doesn't sound like big numbers, but actually is, you know, because it's it's not hard to imagine satisfaction going up by one percent. You know, that could be a thousand more students that stay in your 
you know, in your institution a year. So for students, they're thinking about that first point of contact, the person, the platform, and for institutions, they're thinking about offering that and kind of advertising it, getting the word out at orientation. What about throughout the the year? Because orientation can be, you know, overwhelming. Drinking from a fire hose comes to mind. So how do folks learn about these things, you know, come midterms or, you know, when they come back from Thanksgiving, having basically forgotten everything because they were just at home and, you know, and took a, a, a needed break? Yeah. You know, I think there's a couple of different ways that we find out if students need some support. And none of this is different. Or, I mean, I think lots of people are doing these things. One of them, you know, our faculty are so important to our understanding of what's happening with students because I can't make them come to a student activity. I wish I could. But faculty, they go to class because they have to go to class. And so having some kind of early alert system so that then we can think about how we're reaching out to students, having a students of concern report so that folks can report students that way, I think is really important. And our folks in housing this year, their main focus actually for the RAs has been about building relationships. I think a lot of times we think about RAs that do a lot of programs, which is good. I want students to have things to go to. I think that's important. But I think what's more important is how our RAs are forming relationships with our students and what check-ins look like. And so our RAs have been doing a lot of work, not just thinking about the activities that they do, but actually spending time with their residents, whether it's hey, this is the week that I take this apartment to lunch or this is the week that I go check in. And so we find out a lot of things about students, especially we get a lot of students of concern reports from our resident assistants. And then we do a push all the time, but in particular when our students may be needing some additional help, um, we do a push to think about tutoring. And then at the end of the semester, we do a push with our writing center, as we know a lot of folks are having some things that are due. So we're trying throughout the semester to think about ways that we can make students aware of services. And I will say again, I think our chatbot has been really helpful with that because students aren't going to, they don't read emails. Like I'll send an email and they're like, oh, I didn't see your email. But Finnegan will text them and they're like, oh, yeah, that text from Finnegan. So I think that's been, it's been helpful for us to kind of send some of those timely texts, whether it's a text about, hey, we just want to check in about your health and well-being, or, hey, we know it's a time in the semester where some folks are starting to feel a little burned out, what's going on with you, and here's some resources, here's the counseling center, here's tutoring, whatever it is that might be helpful to students. That's awesome. And it's, it's interesting, as I'm listening to you, it parallels what's happening in the workplace where... People have now realized, you know, not everyone's going to speak up in the all hands meeting or the team meeting. And it's really about those frequent informal check-ins, one-on-ones with your manager, you know, to see how you're doing as a person, not how's that project going, but how are you doing? How are you doing, Angela? How are you doing, Dr. Simmons? You know, and then you can, you can build from there. So in our last minute here, I would love to understand how we normalize getting help because sometimes getting help, getting support, people are reluctant to do it. Maybe there's like a stigma or a sense of failure or I'm less than or whatever, because I'm going to the writing center or I'm going to tutoring. How do we, could students can get over that feeling or how can we together 
normalize getting help? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I, you know, I'm really happy that I think just in our world, I'm seeing some of that happen now that folks feel more comfortable. I'll just use mental health and counseling as an example. I feel like folks feel a lot more comfortable talking about mental health and talking about if they're getting some support from a therapist or or from wherever. And so I think some of that is just happening naturally. And, you know, what I talk with my folks about is that we bring our whole selves to work. You may think, oh, I'm coming to work and I'm being work, Angela. And then I go home and I'm home, Angela. And just like we're bringing all of our whole selves to work, our students are bringing all of their whole selves into activities and into the classroom. And so sometimes for me, it's really important. And I have to, you know, you have to think about how it is you share with folks, but I'm really open about hey, I've been to the counseling center. I love counseling. I think it's great. I I tell students all the time, if you really, if there's something that you're dealing with, you should go. I tell my team that also. And so sometimes it's it helps when you normalize it because it's something that you've been through. Or if you talk about, hey, I know there's students that are athletes and I know that they've, you know, they've struggled and I know that they've gone to the counseling center, not divulging that people have seen somebody, but just kind of normalizing that this is really hard. You've never done college before. This is your first time. And so just like any time you transition into something new, I transition into a new job. There's the little bumps along the way. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask for help because I want to do the best job possible. And so if you want to be the best student possible, which I know you can be, or you wouldn't be here, then it's okay to say, hey, I don't know how to do this thing. I need help with this because it's your first time. And so we all learn and grow and and have to ask for support and help. But I think it does help when faculty and staff say, I've also had to ask for help. You know, I started a new job and I didn't know how to use the copier or it was hard and I had to go and talk with someone because I was just trying to navigate all that. I think when you make people feel like it's normal, because students don't see us as normal. They think we sleep in our offices and wake up and start our day over again. And and we're normal people too. And so I think they need to know that we also have had times when we had to ask for assistance and, and we're here and doing our work because we want to be helpful to them. That is great. I don't know of any other way to lead than by example you know, normalizing your own struggles and where you've, you've gotten help is certainly a great way to make some progress on that. And, and you're right. I'm, I'm definitely seeing that progress. And I love this idea that support is not just a service. It's a person, it's a network and it's what helps you succeed. So thank you so much, Angela, for a great conversation. Thanks, Elliot. It was good to be with you. Thanks everyone for listening. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And check out elliotfelix.com for all the episodes and the articles I've written, talks I've given, and more information about the book. Hey.